fiendish Frankenstein monsters of financial engineering have been created. A lot of them at MIT, some of them by people like me. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. Today is Monday, December 14th. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And that was Paul Samuelson, you heard at the top of the podcast, talking about the role that his profession, economics, played in the financial crisis on Wall Street. Paul Samuelson, for those who don't know, is often talked about as one of the most influential economists of the 20th century, right up there with Milton Friedman and John Maynard Keynes. And he is the sad inspiration for today's Planet Money Indicator. 94. Although that number is not sad, 94 is the number of years that Paul Samuelson lived on this earth. That was his age at the time of his death yesterday, December 13th. And we're going to spend a couple minutes remembering Samuelson on today's show. Um, and then we're also going to hear from another Nobel Prize winning economist, Amartya Zen, who uh, nicely compliments Samuelson. Right. So first, kind of Paul Samuelson, as all the obituaries have been saying, there is just not enough time to list all his achievements. He's sort of like, I think of him like the Shakespeare of economics. You know, he was great at everything, like comedies, <laughs> tragedies, drama, you know. His output and influence is that far ahead of all his peers. Right. So we're going to try to list some of the many things that we can attribute to his work. There was the application of high-level mathematical theory to problems in economics. That's thanks to Samuelson. There was uh, a brilliant dissertation which became a book, The Foundations of Economic Analysis. And that book basically set the course for how economics would be practiced in the 20th century. Really influential. Uh, his colleague Robert Solo once said, when economists sit down with a piece of paper to calculate or analyze something, you would have to say that no one was more important in providing the tools they use and the ideas that they employ than Paul Samuelson. And then, of course, Hannah, there was his role in the invention of linear programming. <laughs> yes, it wasn't enough for him to hang out in economics. He also had to get into computer science. And agriculture uses linear programming and urban planning and telecommunications. He, he also was hugely influential with students. He wrote an incredibly popular textbook called Simply Economics, and it was really clearly written, accessible. It became the best-selling economics textbook in the world for nearly three decades. And he, he was himself, by all accounts, a brilliant teacher whose students included such uh, luminaries in the economics world as Paul Krugman, Joseph Stiglitz, uh, and Ben Bernanke, just to name a few. <laughs> so basically, the rest of us should just give up right now. <laughs> right. Um, so, and, and one more thing, actually, that's really relevant today that we can attribute to Samuelson was the stimulus package. Samuelson was instrumental in bringing Keynesian thinking into America. And Keynes, of course, was the guy who basically came up with the idea of a stimulus package as a way to get out of a deep recession. Samuelson started college at the University of Chicago in 1932, right at the height of the Great Depression. And he said in an interview with the Atlantic Monthly Online that he couldn't reconcile what he was being taught at the University of Chicago and the lectures and the books that he was being assigned with what was happening out in the streets. And, and Keynes seemed to provide a really accurate description of what was happening all around him, that markets do a good job most of the time, but sometimes they get into trouble. Here's Samuelson from just last year in an interview conducted by Paul Solman of the PBS program The News Hour. Samuelson's talking about how his views affect his thinking on the current crisis. Markets by themselves will get themselves inevitably into inequality and into their own destruction. 
will happen again and again. You're a lifelong Democrat. I'm an incurable centrist. Do you feel that there was simply an ideological shift towards free market fundamentalism, some people have called it, that got us inevitably onto this track? Since 1980, yes. And not only that, the economics profession, the guys I have lunch with and love, have, generally speaking, moved greatly rightward. I'm not sure that all of the fiendish stuff could have been picked up by centrist regulators, uh, but you don't have to be perfect uh, in anything in economic life. If you spend 70 years in economics, you'll understand that. <laughs> 70 years in economics. I know. So, so something I actually I kept thinking about today with Samuelson is that he had just seen so much in his life. Like this one article I read today, someone had asked him, what he thinks about Ben Bernanke, our current Fed chairman, for example. And he said, sure, he's smart. I'm going to quote here. He said, but having been born in 1956, he did not have a feel for what it was like. If you were born after 1950, you didn't really have the feel of that Great Depression in your bones. Being a bright boy at MIT, it's not really a substitute for that. Right. And like a lot of people who have been around for, for a long time, you know, he, Samuelson definitely spoke his mind. We actually have some tape about that. Here's Samuelson talking about the Great Depression and, and the impact it had on him as an academic. Um, this was recorded by the BBC just a couple of weeks ago. What a time. It, it was like a person interested in disease when the plague came just in their time. It was love at first sight for me as an economist. <laughs> love at first sight. Don't hear that often. Not in economics. And not not uh, with relation to the Great Depression. So let's move from one Nobel laureate in economics to another, Amartya Sen. And Hara, I have a theory about why these two men, Samuelson and Amartya Sen, belong in the same podcast. <laughs> and and it's, it's not because we just had this Amartya Sen interview lined up and then Paul Samuelson died? <laughs> no. What are you possibly suggesting? No, they belong together. And here is why. Back in the 30s, when Samuelson first started adapting and, and expanding on the work of John Maynard Keynes here in America, Keynes was widely viewed sort of as a caricature. You know, Herbert Hoover, the president of the United States, called him, quote, that Marxist Keynes. <laughs> so that gives you sort of the idea of what kind of respect he was given over here. Um, but Samuelson got on board with Keynes, started writing papers, advancing his theories, advising presidents, until by the early 70s, Richard Nixon was declaring himself a Keynesian. Yeah, and Samuelson, not, not to keep going on about how much influence he had, but he did have a huge influence on a number of U.S. presidents. In fact, I read this morning Larry Summers saying Samuelson had more impact on the economic life of this country and the world than any other government economic official ever. And that is, of course, from President Obama's chief economic <laughs> right. advisor, um, Larry Summers, who also, did we mention, he was Paul Samuelson's nephew? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Among his other accomplishments, he is the uncle of Larry Summers. <laughs> anyway, can I tell you my theory about why, yes. what all this has to do with the March of Sin? Yes, please go for it. Okay, so my theory is, just as Samuelson rescued Keynes from caricature, Amartya Sen is attempting another rescue of one of the most famous economic thinkers in history. In fact, this person may be the most famous economic thinker in history, Adam Smith. Hmm, that's interesting. So, yeah, Amartya Sen actually did talk a lot about Adam Smith when you and Adam Davidson sat down with him. Um, so just some background. Amartya Sen is best known as an economist who's concerned with global development. He's often called the Mother Teresa of economics. Um, and one of his best-selling books, Development as Freedom, 
is all about how governments should strive to intervene on behalf of the poor and the powerless. So he has a new book out called The Idea of Justice, and we had him in the studio to talk about it. It's a very philosophical book looking back at centuries of thought on the idea of justice, including from such thinkers as Adam Smith. Which is surprising because when you think of Adam Smith, you often think of laissez-faire, let the market do what it wants, government doesn't ever need to intervene, and the invisible hand will take care of everything. In fact, Adam and I mentioned that to Amartya Sen, and let's just say he didn't agree. In fact, he says everything we think we know about Adam Smith is wrong, right down to that famous phrase, the invisible hand. First of all, that's a complete caricature of Smith. I think the uh, invisible hand is not one of Adam Smith's theories. Invisible hand is a, is a term that he uses, I think, three times in his entire corpus of work, and twice as caricature. One is referring to the bloody and invisible hand, I think from Macbeth, if I remember right. It's a later construction of this theory of this, if I may say, story that you have been, <laughs> you have been sold. But the, I don't blame you, Adam, because it comes from good economists. Who actually, that's basically based on about 16 lines of Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. He is discussing there why do, we, why do people want to exchange? And they say, well, with, for that you don't have to have any big theory of um, uh, morality, what uh, uh, people want it because they want each other's commodities. For that purpose, self interest is perfectly fine. Then he goes on to say, how can you make these trades survive? Well, then you need mutual trust. You need to have an understanding of each other. But then if you end up in a society with a lot of poor, what do you do? Well, you then need a concept of justice. You have to have transfer from the rich to the poor. Nearly all intervention, this is from Wealth of Nations, in the interests of the rich is almost invariably counterproductive. Whereas all intervention in the interest by state intervention in, in, the, in the interest of the poor is almost always successful and achieved good results. And Smith is one of the heroes in my book. But this is the real, the real Smith. It's not the manufactured Smith put together. And Wait, it's you totally are... different from the Chicago caricature <laughs> we have got of Smith. And I don't think just Chicago. I mean, you're, you're, you're blowing my mind, if I like, may say. Yeah, wealth, so you're saying the Wealth of Nations was, was a tract advocating redistribution of wealth from the rich well, to that, the poor. Well, that, of course, strongly yeah. he discussed it throughout. Unlike Malthus, he was in favor of the poor laws. His only criticism of poor laws was that was the old way of giving poverty relief. What but are poor laws? Poor laws is when people didn't have uh, jobs and they were very indigent. They will be given job in a county in England, uh, and then they will be paid something. And he was in favor of that, but he said that this is too draconian because you're giving them support and tell them they cannot travel out of the district. Why not? And they can go and elsewhere look for jobs. It's both inefficient as well as unjust. So his criticism is always in the interest of the underdogs of society. The same applies about racism. There's a fact, sometimes he exaggerates. I quote in my introduction to the Wealth of Nations, which is, by the way, published by Penguin, if I may say, <laughs> that, that uh, there's one stage he's very angry, obviously, about the, uh, about the white supremacy argument. And then he, sometimes he goes into hyperbole. And there he says that there isn't perhaps a Negro anywhere uh, in, the, in the north of Africa with which he is familiar who does not have a superior concept of justice which his sordid master is scarcely capable of understanding. Well, which this was quite Adam radical Smith. for... I mean, he was totally yeah. a radical figure. When I was writing, I think it was the New York Review, uh, when I was writing about the present crisis, the 
the easiest way of understanding the crisis is to go back to the discussion of Adam Smith when he's talking about what he calls prodigals and projectors. Prodigals and projectors mess up the market economy because they take unjustified risk. Um, A, because they're, they're very buoyant. They think things might work out all right. B, because they think that they might be able to get out of the, the, the situation before the crisis actually hits. And these prodigals and projectors go about messing up the world. And he was discussing in this context what government intervention you need to prevent prodigals and projectors messing up the lives of others who are really trying to create a good life for themselves and for others. So I think he is being very plentifully critical of, of parts of the market mechanism. Does he think that in an ideal world there would be a market economy? Yes, so do I. Does he think that there would be state intervention to deal with poverty, to deal with whenever the confidence goes down, to regenerate mutual confidence? Yes. Does he think that states should run education? He doesn't go into health care that much very early, you know, more than 200 years ago. Um, but there's nothing against state intervention when it's needed, when the market economy cannot do it. So he took a pragmatic approach. We live in a multi-institution world. He is assertive in saying market is a very important institution. One of the reasons why Smith is misunderstood is that the debate that he was having at his time were with people who were absolutely sold on stifling the market with state intervention. And what he called like mercantilism. On, and, indeed, uh, and indeed, there were mercantilists and there were others, um, not alone mercantilists, but you're quite right, Adam, the mercantilist was among them chief. Um, but the corn laws, these other restrictions. Corn laws, exactly. He was yeah. arguing against them, as yeah. I would today. Yeah. But uh, arguing against the corn laws doesn't prevent me from supporting a public option in healthcare. care. has <laughs> got no connection right. with that. And the corn laws remind me, it, it, I know it was a heavy government intervention to help landowners at the expense of, of poor people, but I, I don't remember in, in how effect, they, In effect, that and, yeah. ended up. Their, their theory was that it would work out in everyone's interest. To be fair to Mark and Tellis, they were not monsters. They were just confused. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of harm in the world is done right. by confusion right. rather a, than monstrosities. In my caricature misunderstanding of, of Adam Smith, the way I found it helpful is, is as I go through the world, I do see, and particularly I would say in poorer countries, but, but throughout the world, I, it does seem that people are awfully self-interested, that people rarely act in the interests of some broader justice, they do act in their own self-interest or their group's self-interest. Am, am I wrong? Am I, am I too cynical about humankind? I think, Adam, you might be. You know, it, it, there's fears of life in which we tend to do that. I mean, when I'm asked to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, I don't ask the question, what is there in this choice for the world as a whole? I want to know which one I want to have then and there. So it's not absolutely odd that we should go by self-interest. The world would be full of confusion if we all try to guess each other's, uh, um, what others want. I think there's a lovely story, or, or Henry on that, I think called The Gift of Magi, where he tries to, the husband and wife, try to look after each other's interests in a way that they end up in a total mess. No, so I think uh, lots of fear, that would be right. There's nothing particularly to be worried about that. But there is... A whole lot of spheres in which people sacrifice themselves. They, they sacrifice themselves for the family, for the community, for the country, for humanity. And, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not religious, but uh, people, missionary activists, have been there at often at a huge self sacrifice 
to do something, whether or not you agree with what they're doing. It's not self-interest that they were pursuing. It's a belief in something larger. Some belief larger in something larger. Cause, I think belief yeah. in something larger is extremely important in our life. Speaking of religion, that's like a Talmudic debate you're having there. What what the original text said and what did it mean and how do you interpret it today? Uh, I know, exactly. Well, I didn't realize that there was that the original text. I mean, I have to confess, I've never read Wealth of Nations. Have, have it's you, big. Have only, you read it? only short parts. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I have to take Amartya Sen's word, word for it. But it was it was really shocking to hear such a such a huge revision of what the you know, what I'd always understood Adam Smith to, to be all about. Okay, so we want to thank, first of all, Paul Samuelson for his 94 years of work that has contributed so much to our understanding of economics. He is now part of something larger. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> we, we would also like to thank Amartya Sen, and his new book again is? Uh, the Idea of Justice. It was just recently published. And you can find us, Planet Money, at npr.org slash money. We have a check-in on the health care reform debate. We have David Kestenbaum check in from Copenhagen. Again, it's npr.org slash money. Please send us your thoughts, questions, comments, uh, your tributes to Paul Samuelson, anything else that's on your mind to planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. Thanks for listening. I did, so I packed it up and brought it back to the crib. Just a little something, show you how we live. Everybody want it, but it ain't that serious. Mm-hmm. That's that ish. So if you're gonna do it, do it just like this. Like this.